The Broken Meeple, Season 3, Episode 3, recorded March the 31st, 2019. The Broken Meeple Podcast, a show devoted to board games, card games, and the people who play them. Sit back and enjoy, and remember, it's only a game. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Broken Meeple Podcast. Thanks for joining in. It's been a pretty hectic month in terms of conventions. Um, Aircon was obviously the best one at the start of the month. Uh, my last episode went into some detail on that. Suffice to say, it was another success. It was a good, fun, three-day weekend to spend up there seeing everybody from Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, whatever, whether you're a content creator or just a gamer fan. And it was good to play some games and just generally hang out and have a good time. You know, as always, it's pretty solid. It's getting better each year, I would probably say, you know, slowly but surely just improving on certain aspects. I don't want it to get too much bigger than it is, though. It's kind of nice that it's, uh, you know, this edge of the building and you can play games, you can do some play tests, a bit of a bring and buy, which they could do with making it a bit bigger. So maybe have some more room for that. But they seem to be doing all right as they are. I don't want them to get much, much more bigger because otherwise we'll end up with something that's a bit too close to... Well, actually, no, you're not going to get as big as Games Expo, but you know what I mean? You, you want a convention for each different type of level. You, know, you want the big expo, you want the big gathering with some playtesters, you want the small little gathering of friends type thing. So you don't want it to be all big and grandiose. But like I say, Aircon was great. Well done, Mark Cook and the game for sorting it out, and I'll be there again next year, as always. On top of that, there was also StabCon South. This is a kind of a, like a gathering of friends thing that uh, uh, Tom Wintrell and some, some of his gang run. They run this every twice a year, I think. Like one in spring, one in autumn. Uh, next one, I think, is going to be early autumn, to my belief. Or is it later? I can't remember. It might even be November. They, they chop and change. It depends on the timings. But basically, they rent out a hotel space, and that's about it. You just go there and play games. That's pretty much all there is to it. You get one retailer there from Board Game Extras, and other than that, it's pretty much just go and play games. I get to hang out with a few people I know from Southampton and Portsmouth and other areas of Hampshire in that regard. But other than that, it's nothing like over the top. It's basically just, oh, cool, I get to play some games I don't normally play. That was good and solid this time round. I certainly approved the change of venue because I really didn't like it at the Jury's Inn in Southampton. That just really was inconvenient for me. Now I can drive to the place, I can park there, and I can leave heavy stuff in the car and I don't have to carry it around with me all day. I don't have to chase car parking tickets or anything. It's so much more convenient. I wish, however, that it, the Hilton wasn't such stingy, scabby people. I mean, seriously. These people are just like, oh, would you like a cup of coffee, sir? Yeah, that'll be your life savings. <laughs> it's like, come on. You know, no tea and coffee provided. The food's ridiculously expensive. Alcohol's ridiculously expensive. It's just like, yeah, no wonder I bring my own. I mean, there wasn't even any water available. It's like, come on, basic water? Why is that such a pain to provide? You know, just basic water. So next time, I'm going to be a lot more prepared. I will be bringing basically a giant cool box and leaving it in my car. You know, a couple of wine bottles, a corkscrew, some glasses, you know, God knows what, packs of water, sandwiches, you know, healthy food and snacks. Honestly, I am going to kit my car out as if I'm going camping for the week. And then that will be a lot better. But like I say, still solid, still enjoyed it. So this time again in autumn. 
next convention, uh, that will be UK Games Expo, actually. Yeah, UK Games Expo, end of May, start of June. I'll be there the whole time, so hopefully I'll see you guys there. More on that in another episode. So what games have we been playing lately? Well, certainly Snapcon South and Aircon managed to get me to try out some new titles and get them to the table a bit more. So first up, I want to talk about something that is the new hotness these days, and that is the Quacks of Quedlinburg. I am probably going to do a detailed review of this at some point because I played it at Snapcon South, and since then I have played it again and again with a few like some mates' copies. I don't actually own the game myself. Now that's not to say I hate the game, but I will say it's not one that I'm desperate to own either. The Quacks of Quedlinburg is from Wolfgang Worsk, I don't know, I don't know how you pronounce his name. But basically, those of you that keep up with my YouTube and podcast will know that I have a bit of a hate relationship with this guy. Now, you know, there's nothing against the guy, I'm sure he's lovely, but uh, the games that he comes out with, <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of. You know, I believe he came out with uh, Ganshon Clever, which is... Okay, it's an alright solo roll and write, but I'm kind of getting sick and tired of roll and write games now, and basically it's like kind of pointless to play it multiplayer, and the app basically kills the need to even have the paper version, so it's kind of like, alright, meh, it's alright. And then now we've got like Ganshon Clever Capult or whatever, I don't know, the cleverer version, it's like it's the same game, you've just added a few extra rules in. But he also did, I believe, The Game and The Mind, both of which are games I cannot stand. Both of those games, I think, are utter trash. <laughs> I mean, the, I know there's a lot of people out there who think the mind is the best thing since sliced bread. I cannot for the life of me understand why. This whole sitting in silence and doing nothing and just guessing when somebody can play a number card, whoopee-doo. You know, I, I laugh when people try and come up with huge guides for, no, 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 these are the intricacies and strategic aspects of playing this game. It's like, it's guessing. <laughs> is that for crying out loud? You know, small little card game, it's cheap and it gets people into some games, fair enough. But oh my god, I cannot stand the game. So suffice to say, when I moved into Quacks of Quedlinburg, knowing it was a Kennespiel winner, it's like, oh god, is this going to be another overhyped game? Yes and no. I will definitely say this is overhyped. But this is actually probably the first game by this designer I like. The game is fine. It's a bag-building push-your-luck game. You're effectively building, you know, you're making potions, you know, the theme is there, sort of. I mean, you're putting ingredients into a pot and making sure it doesn't explode, so it kind of works. But you're basically drawing tokens out of a bag, laying them on this track, and you're basically trying to push your luck as to how far you can get it along that track before you draw too many of the white tokens out, which basically make you go bust. As you get more money for getting higher on the track in different rounds, you'll be able to purchase different tokens, different ingredients, put in your bag, rinse and repeat for another, what, seven or eight rounds, I forget how many it was, and the idea is, is that as you buy these tokens, you can come up with more combos and, you know, do things and obviously get further along the track each round. There's a few artificial catch-up mechanics to kind of balance things out, but other than that, it's a pretty simplistic family weight game. Now, here's the good parts. Firstly, looks gorgeous. The components are done really well in this game. I mean, the tokens all look cool, the ingredient cards are nice, the board is good, it's all colourful, your player boards are colourful, it's like, sweet. This is how you do production. Make it look nice, make it look colourful, but you don't have to overproduce it. We don't need, like, giant wooden sculptures and miniatures and things like that. You know, just nice-looking painted tokens is fine. So, gotta give props, this is a very nice produced game. 
Secondly, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, the rules are dirt simple. You just draw out of the bag and hope that you don't get more than seven on the white tokens. Other than that, you pretty much do what you like. And then you just look at where you got. You get rubies that allow you to do one or two things, you know, for a little bonus. You also get money to buy more tokens and you're trying to get victory points and win the game. Straightforward again. The ingredients themselves are pretty straightforward to figure out and they interchange every game. So that's like pretty sweet as well. So all in all, it's got a lot going for it. But there's a couple of things I don't quite get. Firstly, why is this a Kennerspiel winner? Kennerspiel, I like to think of as the strategic games for the awards. This is not a strategic game. The level of strategy in, in this game is pretty low. It's a bag building push your luck game. Luck. There's a lot of luck in this game. You can put your bag together in such a cool way, but you just might draw out the wrong tokens at the wrong time. And you might have the perfect plan, and it just goes completely all the right. And the decisions are not that strategic. I mean, you have so much money in a round, you can only buy two things max, so you can only buy a couple of tokens. And you can't buy everything because then you'll just have no strat you know, no combo to speak of. So you pretty much focus on two or three of the ingredients and then don't really bother with the rest. The decision making is not that difficult, so I don't quite get why is this a Kennerspiel winner. And now I think the game is solid enough that it deserved an award or at least a nomination, but why isn't this in the Spiel de Jahres category? This is so much a family game. This is not a gamer's game. You know, gamers, gamers will like it. I mean, I liked it fine. But seriously, why, why Kennerspiel? I don't get it. This is not a strategic game. It's in the wrong category. But frankly, I think the Spiel and Kennerspiel awards have just gone completely down the pan in recent years. Nominations and games are turning up for those that I can't stand. I mean, I mean, the mind turned up as a nomination last time, didn't it? I don't think it won, but it was a nomination. Really? The mind? Give me a break. But, ah, oh well, yeah, that's only my opinion. But, yeah, like I say, game is solid, but another thing that does gripe me with it is the catch-up mechanics are so artificial, it's just stab it's staring you in the face every time they appear. Firstly, whoever's at the back behind the leader, you count the number of rats on the score track and then that's how Mar you can sort of temporarily move yourself up the track. I mean, that's pretty artificial, but I don't mind that so much. What I really don't like is that bonus die. Whoever is at the highest in a particular round, the highest per position, it gets a bonus die, which gives them either one or two victory points, another ingredient, or some other cool stuff. So that's basically rich get richer. Because it's the person who is doing well every round. I mean, I played uh, several games and basically whoever started off doing well continued to do well. You know, it was very much, you could get runaway leaders, problems with this game. And certainly, why are we rewarding the one who's doing well? More. The bonus die should be something for the person in last place to say, were you the lowest on the track? Oh, well, you at least get this little bonus die. But... I first game I played, I just trounced everybody with a simple pumpkin and uh, mushroom combo. And every round I was continuously being the highest position, so I'm just getting more and more bonuses and getting further and further ahead. It just seems weird. Kind of pointless, really. It sounds like such an afterthought that it was put in the game, and personally, I would just house rule it and say that it's for the person in last place, because that would make more sense. It gives a little bit of an incentive for the person who is doing last, and the leader doesn't end up just elongating his lead, you know, just out of pure luck. So, like I say, Quacks of Quedlinburg, decent, solid game, 
I'll give it credit, this is the one game by this designer I like, and I would happily play it again. Don't know if it was one I would own, I don't know what the expansion's like, but maybe if I can get it cheap I might grab it, I don't know, I mean it's a bag building game that's pretty straightforward, and unlike Coffee Roaster that I talk about a lot, it's multiplayer, even though you gotta admit, the multiplayer is kinda solitaire here. That's another slight issue with this. The other players, really you don't care about. There's one ingredient that is based on your neighbors, and if you have no intention of using that ingredient, then then what's the point? And even then, the ingredient is only if you draw it out of the bag, so you might not even see it every round. So really, everybody else there around the table is kind of pointless. You know, it's multiplayer solitaire, and as you're going through, you're just thinking, well, this game would be a little bit quicker if we didn't have this many players. So, like I say, game is decent. I'll probably do a detailed review on this, but I don't think that this deserves, oh my god, the supreme hype that it's getting. I think it's a decent bank building game. Not perfect, has some flaws, but overall, it's a decent enough hit. I also got to do a pretty decent game of Space Base. I've played this once before, but I haven't really commented on it much. I played it again now because I was a little bit, hmm, the first time I played it. This time I enjoyed it more, not, not because I won, but you know, I did enjoy it a bit more. Now, a lot of this comes down to player count. Space Base is basically a, you might as well just call it a sequel to Mighty Koro because it pretty much is the same game. You roll dice, you trigger stuff on your turn, except in this one, although Mighty Koro did it in some cases as well, you know, whatever your opponents are on their turns might trigger stuff for you. As you buy more space, you're set in space, it's spaceships, but the theme is non-existent, whatever. You know, but as you buy more spaceships, you basically put them on your player board, replace the card that's already there, it flips over and then becomes something that activates when your opponent rolls the number. So you can build up these really cool combos and there's a lot of cards to pick from. Obviously the odds of rolling a 12 are much less than rolling the seven, which is why the ones that are for a 12 don't cost as much or give you really big rewards. And it's just basically build your own combo, roll dice, get rewards, and eventually somebody will win. I mean, it's a nice, harmless game. The cards are cool. It's very colourful. It's almost eye-burningly colourful. It's like a very nice-looking game, and I've been tempted to get this one as well. But uh, the problem I have with it is that the player count is very hit and miss with it. Because it goes up to five. Five is just way too long. This game drags like crazy with five players. But you also feel that you want to get as many abilities that trigger on other players' turns as possible because there's loads of people rolling. With less players, it's far quicker and much more manageable, but then you feel like the ones where you trigger on other opponents' turns aren't really that useful. You know, because they're only, they're only going to be rolling so often. But then I guess the flip side of that is that they're going to be rolling more often and you're, the game's going to go quicker anyway. So I guess it scales okay. But certainly this is a game I would play two, three players max. Four is maybe, you could convince me, but four is not desperate. Five, no way. I would never play this with five again. It's just too much. But it's a solid game, you know, you just roll dice and collect stuff, you build little cool combos, and you can try something different every game. It's pretty sweet. The thing that really drove this up when I was playing it at StabCon, though, was because I managed to win with the U-Win card. There is an automatic U-Win card in the game, and it's like you have to roll 12 five times on your turn in order to actually do it as a whim. Yeah, that's just nigh on impossible to do in any game. So it seems like a, such a pointless card to put in. But I was determined I was going to find a way to make it work. And when certain other cards came out, I spotted the plan. 
I was able to utilize a card that allowed it to exchange it with another card on my thing. So I grabbed that, because nobody was buying the U-Win card, it was just sitting there, you know, nobody was that stupid. So I bought the exchange card, I then swapped it with my number 5 card, which was just a random other card. I then bought the U-Win card, I then swapped the U-Win card with my number 5 card. So suddenly my U-Win card is on my number 5, a nice common number to roll. But on top of that, I had a few other cards I was buying in the mid midpoint, which were ones that generated charge cubes on like other cards. So once they once they got charged up themselves, you could take them off and it said put a charge cube somewhere else or move a charge cube from another card to another card. So with that combination and the U-Win card in number five, I finished the game with zero victory points. And I still won the game because <laughs> I got all five cubes on that card. I felt pretty proud of myself for doing that. But that's pretty much the only way you will win with that U-Win card. Nobody is winning with that card when it's sitting on their 12 space unless you're doing some charge cube shenanigans, in which case it might be possible. But I was just quite proud that that kind of happened. But other than that, like I say, space space, pretty solid. Maybe I'll get it at some point, but the fact that I only want to play it with two or three players hinders me a bit because I don't often get games to the table with two players and three players is going to be like the only sweet spot I'll play it. Do I want to buy a game for that? The expansion I don't know much about though, so maybe, I don't know, we'll see. But Space Space, pretty solid. If you like Machikoro, you'll love Space Space. If you don't like Machikoro, because I don't like Machikoro, this will probably be the one to, to bring you back a bit. It's done a lot better than Machikoro, and it's certainly a lot more balanced than Machikoro. And finally, another little game I played was Blue Lagoon. This is from Blue Orange Games. It's done by Reiner Knizia. And pretty much that's all you need to know. Reiner Knizia's games are good. I do own a few. But my god, it's like rinse repeat. You know a game is a Reiner Knizia game. All the tropes are there. No theme. Basically mathematics for the most part. And sort of like close scoring. They're good games. They're fine. But... It's nothing new to the table, and it's kind of like you play one Rennick Knizia game, you've played them all. It does feel that way sometimes, particularly with the smaller ones. In Blue Lagoon, you effectively are on these islands, and you're laying down tribe counters, you know, tribe villager tokens of your own colour. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to score points by either collecting different types of resources, which, like I say, mean nothing. They are literally just other colour pieces. And connecting to different islands via boats, and being on all the islands, having majorities on the islands, and that's pretty much the game. You basically go through two phases. The first phase, you have to start on the water, and you spread out, you do your thing, and you lay down these huts, which, when the game resets for the second half, the huts stay on the board, and you can only lead out from those huts. So having a good infrastructure in the first round is key to doing well in the second. It's cool, you've got some neat ways of doing well in one round and not in another, and obviously where you place your huts is key, you know, do you want them close to resources or close to boundaries and other islands, you know, there's a lot to think about, there's some good little mini strategies to think of. It's certainly very cutthroat when we were playing it with five, it would probably be less cutthroat with less players, but still, like I say, it's a neat little game. Although not that little. It's not exactly what I would call a filler. It could still take you easily an hour with that many players, and by that point it's no longer a filler game, and I feel that this one should have been a filler game. I don't think there's enough in it to entertain me as a full-length game. 
But overall, I liked it. I mean, I think I won by the skin of my teeth in the end or something. You know, I was quite close to another player. We were trying different strategies. It worked well, and I, it looks nice. It's, it's very colourful, even though, like I say, it's kind of pointless having wooden resource tokens because, let's face it, the resources, you don't even know what they are. You know, by name, there's no clue on the board to say what they actually are, and it's just... They're not really, don't, you don't do anything with them. You just collect sets of them for points. It's a Canizia game. What do you expect? So it's decent enough for families. And certainly I think younger people could play it. But yeah, it's just, it's another Canizia game. I, I just found it okay. You know, probably a six for me. I would play it again, but I'm not going to really care if I never play it again. Because I feel like I've already got enough Canizia games on the shelf. Or have I? Actually, I don't have that many, come to think of it. Actually, no, Lost Cities, uh, Yellow and Yangst. Ah, yeah. Okay, maybe I don't own a lot of Knizia games. Well, well, this is the problem. It's not that I dislike Knizia games, it's just, like I say, I'm much more of a theme person, and like I said, you play one Knizia game, you feel like you've played them all. But, I don't know, that's the thing. Blue Lagoon, still solid, just, I think it's just going to be forgettable. Now for this episode I wanted to focus a little bit on one discussion topic because I was watching a couple of top 10s lately, one on Dice Tower and I forget where the other one was from, but they focused on Kickstarter games. Now Kickstarter is obviously something that we've dealt with a lot, in the, especially in the last few years, where it's just erupted, you know, publishers and new people and designers are using it constantly for getting new games onto the market. And there's definitely a a kind of debate back and forth as to whether Kickstarter has done good for the industry or done bad. In my opinion, and this is what this discussion is just about, I'm sort of just going to go over what impact I feel it's had on me as a gamer, particularly, not necessarily as a reviewer, but as a gamer, in terms of whether it's done good or bad. Because I think it's done both. There's good aspects to it, but... I would be lying if I said there aren't some annoyances that have come out of Kickstarter. So, first off, cost. You know, when people are buying stuff off Kickstarter, these things have a million add-ons, a million stretch goals, and, you know, huge pledge levels. And if it's going to be for something like, a, you know, Tainted Grail or anything by Cool Mini or Not or Mythic Battles, you know, and stuff like that, they're going to be expensive, very expensive and you get a lot usually for your money but I would argue that's not always the case firstly shipping can be a right pain you could pay a ton to get this game shipped and you feel that well if I don't pay this extra for shipping I'm not going to get all these cool additions that are Kickstarter exclusive and we'll get onto that a little bit later but then you don't want to wait for the retail version where shipping would be a lot cheaper on top of that how much do you want to spend on a game because even I have to admit, I overspend on Kickstarter. You know, I, I don't buy everything on it, and I certainly don't go for a lot of these miniature ones. Again, more on that later. But, God blimey, I have spent quite a bit on some of these Kickstarters. I mean, Suburbia Collector's Edition was a good 150-odd. And, bear in mind, pounds, we're in the UK. Uh, but then, what else is there? I mean, Star Realms Frontiers. This is a game I don't often get to the table because I haven't really tried the multiplayer aspect. It's hard to get two players to the table. I've played it solo a few times against the challenges and they're good fun, but did I need to spend a hundred and something pound to get the entire big box set when I didn't own any of it? 
Bit of a completionist, I must admit. It looks cool and I'm glad I've got the collection, but yeah, was that a bit much? And then Rising Sun, right behind me. Woo! Wee wee did I spend a bit on that. <laughs> you know, there was add-ons, there was the expansion, two other clans, other models. Oh my god, I went crazy with this. this that was easy, like a 200 something pound pledge to get everything for Rising Sun. Now, of course, I love Rising Sun. Not a problem with the fact that I've got the game and I enjoy it, but value-wise, did I need to spend that much on a single game? <laughs> so that seemed a bit much. I mean, I just went on a sale today with Green Knight Games. They're shutting their website down. It was in their newsletter. And they had a sale on 50% off everything on this website. I went on and bought a lot of stuff, like £280, 300 quid's worth of games for about 150 quid. You know, like, I went and bought quite a lot. Things like Jamaica for 11 quid, a Rolling Freight for £15, uh, you know, certain, like, Love Letter for £2.50. You know, stuff like that. It's just a lot of stuff. And that's value even if I don't enjoy the games, you know, because I'm getting, like, a heavy train game for 15 quid, and I don't normally like heavy train games, but it's like, this one has custom dice, I've heard good things from Tom Vassell, you know what, I'll give it a shot. Even for 15 quid, if I hate the game... I'll get my money's worth, particularly after I've sold it on again, if I don't like it. So, that, that's good value. 200 and something pound, though, for one game? <laughs> it is a bit much. And that is one problem I find with Kickstarter. I think people are just shedding so much money into this. Secondly, I don't tend to go on Kickstarter much for the, the new people. Publishers are now starting to use it as basically a pre-order system. You know, that we're going to publish this anyway, but we want to throw in a few extra little bells and whistles, but we want everyone to pre-order it in advance. I'm not as huge a fan of that. But then again, I don't really buy Kickstarters from completely new people out of the blue either, because frankly, I don't know what your game's like. You know, your game is there. Okay, it's nothing particularly special. Uh, it sounds like other things. I don't know who you are, I've never played this game, how much trust can I really put in it? And I've been burnt on buying stuff before from unreliable Kickstarters or unreliable designers in the past. And so you find that sometimes you spent the money and then it comes, maybe late, so you're waiting ages for this, and then by the time it arrives you're kind of like, yeah, why did I buy that? So I have been burnt on a few Kickstarters now and again. Now, exclusives? Oh my god, I hate exclusives. I'm getting sick and tired of this. Two games that were, I mean, you can get Gloomhaven retail now, but originally I think it was a Kickstarter exclusive one, but Seventh Continent. You know, people say, oh yeah, this is a really great game, Seventh Continent, yeah, we're going to do awards for the year. Yeah, it's Kickstarter exclusive, which means most of the known population don't even own the game. So how, why does it qualify for awards when it's not on worldwide release? You know, Ticket to Ride sells all over the world. If that get awards, then fine. But something that's only available to backers of a Kickstarter? Why is that even eligible? I don't get that. But I've never even played Sanford Continent. It may be a fantastic game for all I know, but I was not prepared to spend that much money on a game that didn't exactly look fantastic and cost that much money and was only exclusive. It's kind of like, oh yeah, you could play this really good game, but give us lots of money or you can't. It's like, well, no. I do. You sell it on retail, and then I might decide to purchase it then, without all the bells and whistles, but no. And Gloomhaven was similar, you know, the amount of money that generated on Kickstarter, although arguably that has more in the box to justify it. But even then, just Kickstarter exclusives. Cool Money are not uh, ridiculous for this, and certainly a lot of the um, people who do miniatures. I'm getting sick and tired of miniatures being everything on Kickstarter. 
it's like a game comes out and it's like, oh, look at these fancy miniatures. Look, at this giant sculpture the size of your head of Cthulhu. And, oh, look at these massive models of these monsters and everything that you can have. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's the game like? You know, so many of these people, Call Me or Not and, and, you know, and Awakened Realms and that, it's all about just shoving miniatures into a game. And frequently, you find that the game is not all that good. I just did a review of Victorian Masterminds recently, and that wasn't a Kickstarter, but it's so overproduced for what you get. Council of Four was another one from them. So overproduced, and the game's average. It's okay, but you're shelling out all that money for it. Now, with the Kickstarter ones, it's like, oh, these are exclusive. So, you feel like you're missing out if you don't buy the Kickstarter version. But then that means you have to spend more money. So, you know, when you get the retail version, you're like... I like the game now, but I wish I held all that Kickstarter stuff now, and okay, now you've got to find some way to get it on the second-hand market, which could be even more expensive. And, you know, on top of that, this will lead on to another thing I'm hating with Kickstarter, and that is people who buy stuff off Kickstarter just to flog it on. Seriously. That drives me nuts. You know, fine if you want to spend that much money on a game because you intend to play it, but I'm getting annoyed with these people who literally just buy, like, oh yeah, I've bought 250 quid's worth of game on the Kickstarter, or maybe 100 quid's worth, you know, it might have been cheaper, and then it's like, now I'm going to sell it for twice that amount because there's going to be some desperate poor soul there who's willing to spend far too much money on a board game to buy it off me. Not a, that just sounds shady to me. I'm really not keen on that front. Now, Kickstarter does have some cool stuff I like about it as well, though. Firstly, I love the fact that you do get, you know, kind of like an ongoing development uh, update with how the game's progressing. So, I think, oh, this game sounds pretty good. You know, fair enough. I'll back it. It sounds quite nice. And then as you go through the process, they update, well, it depends how good the publisher is. But anything from, like, say, Stonemaier or uh, Bezier games are pretty good. I try to think, um, anybody else? Is quite uh, great in games when they did the Sentinels in the Multiverse one, they were pretty good as well. But they give you development updates, they show you videos, you know, like, here's what we're making, here's some pre-production stuff, and you see it coming and you can give your feedback, you can even have an influence on how they're going to do things. That's pretty cool. You know, you couldn't do that with a lot of published games. You know, Wingspan came out and it was just published. Nobody could comment about that one at all, it's just, this is coming out deal with it. You know, it's no way to influence it at all. But I like having that element of notification. I like to, and it builds up a bit more of the, as much as I hate to say it, hype. But it gets you a bit more excited for like, oh, this game's shaping up to be pretty sweet now. Yeah, I hope this is going to be good. And you could get burnt. It could come out and it may not be what you were expecting, but uh, it's nice to have that little bit of something to look forward to. Now, expansions? Yeah. I used to look forward to, I, I kind of hate it when a game comes out on Kickstarter and the base game is there, but they're already saying, oh yeah, but here's five expansions. Why aren't they in the base game then? <laughs> you know, did you literally just like say, oh yeah, this base game's all right, but now we're just going to throw in all this extra stuff, give us money. But it's even worse when the base game comes out on Kickstarter and then less than what, like six months later, barely even that, there's suddenly a Kickstarter or an announcement of, and here's the next expansion. It's like, we've barely had enough time to play the wretched thing, and you're already talking about expansions. Did you just, did you know about this content before you Kickstarted it? Because it's a bit like PC games lately, particularly if you buy anything from EA games. It's all about, oh yeah, the content's on the disc, but it's all locked off, and now you've got to give us money for season passes and all that rubbish. 
This feels like it's a season pass for board games, where suddenly it's like, oh yeah, we're doing these expansions now, and then six months later it's another expansion. It's like, there is no way it's like, I mean, you're designing these expansions very quickly. You must have known this content was available. It's almost like they chopped it out of the board game, locked it away, and then said, right, well, eventually we'll set it for more money later. It's like, it does seem a little bit shady here and there. Now, there have been a lot of great Kickstarter games. Originally, it used to be a thing that Kickstarter basically just meant, ugh, rubbish, doesn't look good, you know, not great gameplay. But we're getting some solid titles now, though, I've got to admit. Rising Sun. Scythe, uh, Western Legends, uh, even Deception Murder in Hong Kong was a uh, Kickstarter. Chronicles of Crime was a Kickstarter. Um, Carson City Big Box, I think that was a Kickstarter. I'm not sure if it was. I can't remember if it was a Kickstarter or not. But, you know, generally there's been quite a few really... Oh, Viticulture, yeah, really good one. Uh, Blood Rage, not the favourite in the world, but by my, it's uh, certainly done well for itself. You know, the... Um, everything from Eagle Griffin games, you know, the Vignos, the Lisboa, the the uh, Gallerist, you know, they've all been fun, Anachrony, Mind Clash games, oh my god, everything that Mind Clash games does is just sitting with me at the moment, so Cerebria, Anachrony, Tricarion, I've got the Tricarion Deluxe version coming uh, in a few months, so the games have certainly risen the bar for how good they're going to be. So suddenly that original thing of, it's on Kickstarter, it's probably not going to be a game, is now kind of done and dusted with. You can now look at a Kickstarter game and go, yeah, you know what, this is actually pretty solid or has the potential to be really big, providing they're going to release it everywhere, though, and not just do it exclusive only. You know, really don't like it when they do that. But I mentioned miniatures briefly before, and this is the biggest gripe I have with it. Enough with the miniatures, publishers. Please. Seriously? I'm all up for miniatures. Miniatures look great. But it's not like standees are horrible, okay? I love all the Arkham Horror games, whether they're miniatures or standees with nice artwork on them. I'm fine either way. But there's a, too many people on Kickstarter that are just basically... Oh yeah, here's a game. What's the gameplay like? Oh, don't worry about that. Look at all these miniatures. Yeah, look at the miniatures. Give us money. It's it's basically like... Who's watched South Park? You know the chimp Pokemon advert they put in South Park? Where it's just, you know, it's brainwashing children. It's like, you got the ticket, you got the bye, bye, bye. It's, it's just like that with Kickstarter. Now it's like, you got miniatures, you got miniatures, got to take my miniatures, bye, 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 give us money. It's, oh, God. And it just goes on and on. On and I just look at another game that says it's a generic fantasy co-op dungeon crawl, or here's another, you know, another fighty game with dice and miniatures. It's like a bit of an issue, not initiative, a bit of a what's the word? Trying to think, not initiative, uh, innovation, a bit of innovation with your games, guys, okay? Because it just seems like the same game is getting made rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, and all it is is just basically. Here's a bunch of miniatures, screw the gameplay. You know, I'm noticing Cool Mini will not do this a lot, and uh, certainly there have been games recently where it's just like so much fail. Dark Souls is a big uh, like, example of this. Who remembers the Dark Souls game? Look how the miniatures were in that, it's like, oh my god, these miniatures look awesome. And they do. I then got to play a boss battle at, you know, at a games expo. Is that it? Literally, that was my reaction, it's like, that's it? For this monumental funded Kickstarter that everyone's going mad about, this IP that is popular, I've never even played any of the computer games of Dark Souls, and that's it? 
And that was the best part of the game I was playing. The bit there where you gotta grind until you get to the boss sounds horrible. And, you know, and who plays Dark Souls anymore? Hmm? Anybody see that on the shops? Anybody see that on shelves? That's pretty much gone and dusted and out of people's heads by now. That's how little impact it made. And again, that was another typical Kickstarter where it was just miniatures, miniatures, gotta buy, buy, buy. It's uh, just. Can we have Kickstarters that do more than just give you miniatures? There are good games that don't require miniatures, okay? I just mentioned all the Mind Clash game stuff. Now, granted, Anachrony came with some amazing miniatures in that for a Kickstarter add-on. But it was an add-on, and it was also cosmetic only. And you really don't need them. I mean, they look amazing, but I will happily play Anachrony. In fact, I did at StabCon with somebody who didn't have the Kickstarter version. It's still an awesome game, I don't need the Kickstarter version to make an acrony like everything. And Cerebria has some cool miniatures for your avatar. That's about it though, it's not like <laughs> reading with miniatures everywhere, it's not like everything is miniatures. Here's like five boxes worth of stuff for your game and now where are you going to store it? How are you going to set it up? I mean the stuff you can get for Zombicide now, oh my god, every time I see someone setting that game up it's like... Yeah, have fun with that. I haven't got two hours for you to set this game up before we actually play it for another two hours. It's just, you can end up with too much of a good thing. It's perfectly possible, guys. So, Kickstarter in general, I still feel it's it's got some work to do. I do spend a lot on Kickstarter, but most of my stuff is from actual you know publishers who I know. I mean, I've got like the Western Legend stuff. I knew who they were. Bezier Games, the Suburbia Collector's Edition. I know who Bezier Games are. They do some cool games. Portal, when... Uh, actually, do Portal use Kickstarter? No, I don't think they do. Oh, actually, they're planning to with Predator Porter. That'll be a good one. I'll, I'll get in on that one. But, you know, cool money or not, I tend to avoid a lot of their stuff now since Rising Sun because I feel I overspent on that one and I still love the game, but still, value. And just... There's other stuff, I mean, Stonemaier Games I still keep an eye on when they do Kickstarter stuff, because they're generally pretty sweet, but I'm a lot more picky, a lot more choosy over my Kickstarters now. I'm not quite as like, ooh, jump into everything. And certainly, I feel that it's still got a way to go, but it is on the improvement. You know, games in the past, I used to think, oh, it's Kickstarter, it's going to be rubbish, and certainly when you think of stuff like Exploding Kittens, and God knows what else, that somehow fund on Kickstarter, yet a complete trash. Is it, seriously? How? But, nowadays, we are getting more and more good Kickstarter games, and certainly I think that the quality of what you get has improved. But there's just a few practices where this obsession with miniatures, this whole Kickstarter exclusivity thing, and you know, what else? You know, the sheer cost always a problem, the wealth of expansions, despite the fact the games only just come out, and possibly just too much emphasis on bling rather than gameplay development. I mean, Root was a good, um, it's an alright game, but that was a well-funded Kickstarter. What are we on now? Like the third, fourth printing of that in like such a short space of time because of lots of rule changes and balance issues? Get it right the first time then. Why... You know, I don't know. Like I say, I'm probably going to rant on too much. But like I say, I still find Kickstarter is good. But as me as a gamer, I'm certainly a lot more wary of it. I'm like, I don't know. I want to be a little bit more careful here. And it's kind of taken out a lot of the surprise factor 
for a lot of games to me. Because it used to be like, oh, I have no idea what this game's going to be like. This is going to be really cool. Now you kind of know what it's going to be like because it's there and all you hear about on Facebook and Twitter is, look at this new Kickstarter. It's amazing. And look, I've just got it. And look at all the bits and bobs that I spent all my life savings on. It's, it kind of takes out some of the fun in a way. But like I say, it's not all bad. I think there's room for improvement, certainly. But I, <laughs> I can't deny that the games I've got on my shelf that are Kickstarter ones are pretty solid. I'm just a bit more picky over them. So that's it for this episode. What do you think about Kickstarter? Is it good, bad? Have you been burnt on some stuff? You know, give me some examples. I'll put this up on YouTube as well as on the uh, podcast website. So if you're on the YouTube channel, um, if you subscribe to that and check out the episode there, then I'll welcome all your comments to say, you know, what do you think of Kickstarter? Good, bad? What would you like to see improved? What do you like about it? What games have you bought on Kickstarter that you love? Particularly, which ones have you bought on Kickstarter that you got burnt on? I'm kind of interested to hear about those. But this will be a good debate topic, I think, for the channel. Again, keep it civil. No trolls. I've already had enough dealings with them lately. And, you know, this will be pretty good to talk about. So that's it for me. I'll see you on the next podcast episode and the next video on YouTube. Uh, God knows what that will be. Uh, probably my top 10 games that I'm happy to fail at. I need to think of how to phrase it, because at the moment it's top 10 games I love to fail, which kind of gives off the wrong impression. But these are basically going to be games where if I'm losing or if I come last, I don't really care, because there's so much enjoyment during the game, or the fact that I have failed adds to the enjoyment. It's kind of complex. I wanted to do something a bit different, you know, a list that no one else had done, because I've already had to deal with trolls saying, oh my god, you've just done a list that the Dice Tower did recently. It's like, well, they've done pretty much every top 10 list you can think of. It's not exactly difficult to uh, overlap them somehow. And also, hello, we're on the internet. <laughs> you think people haven't done stuff that other people have done before? In which case, I think we should ruin all creators who have done top 100 lists, because I'm pretty certain that's been done by somebody before everybody else decided to do it. I don't know, maybe I should make it top 101 just to be different. But anyway, I'm getting off topic. That's it. I'll see you on the next episode. And remember, as always, it's only a game. Take care. Have a good day. Thank you all for listening to my content, and I hope it was enjoyable for you. If you want to catch me at other sources, then there's plenty to choose from. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can find me at all of these places. Just search for The Broken Meeple on Facebook and you will find me. Same for Instagram. On Twitter, you can catch me at The Broken Meeple. On YouTube, just search for The Broken Meeple and you will find my channel full of videos about top tens, reviews, solo walkthroughs, and all sorts of other things besides. Of course, you can subscribe to this podcast via the RSS feed on soundcloud.com. This is where episodes will be posted in the future, as well as audio-only feeds on YouTube. The Broken Meeple is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. As always, remember my motto, it's only a game.